Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome back to the MLHS podcast. My name is Anthony Petrielli. Most of you listeners will be familiar with me at this rate. Uh, we've had a little bit of a hiatus from the show. And so first and foremost, we want to apologize for that. And second, on a good news note, is we are committed to getting this back to regularly scheduled programming. What that means is likely one episode a week to start in the event that, you know, there's a trade or something of significance happens. We will try to have an emergency podcast of sorts. We don't want to commit necessarily to a regular day, meaning like every Wednesday or every Thursday. We're going to realistically work around the Leafs schedule so that we don't put, you know, an episode out on a Tuesday morning when they play a Tuesday night. It just the sh- the shelf life is too short. Uh, but we are excited to get this back and, and up and running. Uh, we'll try to include guests when we can. Uh, I'll throw to Alec, who is here with us today but probably won't be here regularly but we want to include him for this episode and uh and the co-host of the show will uh, i guess i'll keep you on your toes for a minute here before uh, we put his name out there so we are excited to have this back we're excited to dig into the leafs um you know we want to provide our fresh takes on whatever's happening and uh you know whether it's who to approach come trade deadline day or how the you know state of the team is for this episode in particular we're past american thanksgiving the setting the standings have started to kind of settle into place a little bit and uh we're you know we want to go through a bit of a state of the team and before we get to any of that i'll throw it to you alec i don't know if i've missed anything here no i I mostly just want to echo the same sentiments about um committing to hopefully making this not hopefully we will because we say hopefully every time we do these episodes uh, make it a regular thing we actually are making that commitment and to be fair to anthony it's mostly been uh, me letting him down (laughs) on my side of it as he alluded to i probably won't be on all that often due to uh i got a wild hair up my ass and decided to have a kid so i doubt that um it'll be a regular feature for me but i'm happy to be on the first sort of relaunch and to uh, help introduce a more talented and reliable (laughs) co-host for anthony and uh in nick so you want to Maybe give a short background on 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 yourself, Nick, and maybe where you're from, how you became a Leafs fan, and then where your work can be found outside of the pod. Sure. So I'm Nick Ashbourne. Uh, I have been following the Leafs for probably you know a quarter century now, something like that. I kind of came in during the the Matt Sundin years. You know, I saw. Went to Maple Leaf Gardens as a kid. I saw the Lonnie Bohannes playoff game live in 1999. This is a team that has been, yeah, a big part, has owned a big chunk of my brain for a long time now. And professionally, for a lot of my career, I actually worked on Blue Jays-related content, which I still do, um, but recently ended up at Yahoo Sports leading their NHL coverage with sort of a focus on the Maple Leafs and really dug in more than ever before this year. Unfortunately, that outlet yeah sports canada became defunct and so now uh, i'm kind of in a freelance mode you can find some of my blue jays work at sportsnet and you'll find some nhl stuff elsewhere but i have nothing to announce on that just this minute and i yeah i'm thankful to be here it's gonna be an interesting ride anthony and i did some work together when i was at yahoo sports we did a video series together called shot volume thought we had a lot of great conversations and 
I think a lot of our best conversations were about the Leafs. So I think we're just going to be having them here on a weekly basis. And I'm really excited about this project. You went to the Bahamas game. Hey, that's a nice footnote. Maple Leaf I mean, Garden. I needed something for a little credit. I know some of the listeners probably won't have heard me. There's a little bit, little kernel <laughs> of credibility there. And you're, you're a Toronto boy. I feel like that's, that's yeah, worth noting. Born and raised in Toronto. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's, an, you know, it's nice to be around the market. It's hard to explain the market unless you're like, you're actively in it and you kind of see you're so close to everything that, that you can touch and feel. It's not to knock anyone who's not in the market, but when you're trying to talk about the team and, and the things going on around it, it is, it is nice if, if you can kind of be close to it. Uh, So we start again, after American Thanksgiving, the setting, the standings kind of generally settle into play think when we we looked at the numbers what a week ago and it was something like 80 plus percent of teams in a playoff spot at American Thanksgiving end up making it in the playoffs I don't think anyone was really doubting too much if the Leafs would be a playoff team but nonetheless like it, it is part of the process the first step is always making the playoffs and so far they've put themselves in a in a great spot to do so so they're pacing for what 110 points at the moment they have a real shot at winning the division, I would say. Uh, Boston got off to another scorching hot start. We're not going to go through every team in their division, although I think that'll be an upcoming episode sooner rather than later. Um, But I think Boston is starting to come back down to earth. We'll see about Florida, who I think is really, really good. I think Florida's a problem. Uh, But, you know, today we're here to talk about the Leafs. I think a good place to start would be their new general manager. Obviously, they brought in Brad Tree Living. We know the whole ordeal with Kyle Dubas at this point. There's not really much use of rehashing that. And so early returns on his acquisitions. I think we start with Tyler Bertuzzi. Let's just go right to the top in terms of who he paid the most money to. And I'll throw to you, Nick, first. Yeah, I think kind of based on some of your tweets, Anthony, you and I are probably in a minority here where I'm pretty high on what I've seen from Tyler Bertuzzi so far. I know that if you look at the straight production, five goals, four assists in 26 games, like if I told you that, prior to the season, knowing that he's going to be playing with a lot of good players as well. You'd be like, he's not making enough out of that opportunity. He's not giving you the bunting production. Cause we initially conceptualized him as playing alongside Matthews and Marner, which may still again happen at some point. We'll see how things go. But on the flip side, he, you know, his possession numbers are like the best on the team by a big chunk. And he plays with good players, but still like a, you know, five on five, 61.4 expected goals. That's really good for a team that's kind of middle of the pack in that regard. He does a lot of the dirty work for the lines that he's on. He's a crafty playmaker. Like his four assists are absolutely wild to me. Like if you have watched every game and the amount of times he has set up a Nylander or Tavares with a high level opportunity, it just seems like for whatever reason, his passes are cursed. I don't know why that is. Um, but you know, there are flaws in his game too. He took a lot of penalties early in the year. That's kind of leveled out a little bit. It's not as much of an issue. He's a bit of a lightweight. He kind of bounces off guys. He spends a lot of time with his ass on the ice. Like there's, there's some weirdness associated with watching Tyler Bertuzzi play, but as far as like the value of the contract and what he's doing on the ice, I don't think you're too disappointed. I think the reality is the results are just going to come and they're probably going to come in bunches at some point, but this second, if you haven't been watching the games, you've kind of just been following along. I could easily imagine you being kind of disappointed with what 
Bertuzzi has produced in a literal sense, but I don't really have concerns about where he is or what he can contribute to the team. Yeah, no, I feel like pretty much the same way. Like stylistically, as Anthony knows, we talk about this all the time. I absolutely love Bertuzzi as a player. I think he kind of has that ability to be kind of the center of gravity in the ozone in front of the net where defenders kind of just gravitate to him and, and, end up tied up and engaged with him around the net and it creates all kinds of space around him. Um, and he had so many little, like, especially seeing him live the other week, like he has so many good little tricks up his sleeve for winning puck battles and extending plays for himself and for his line mates in the greasy areas of the offensive zone. Like you said, Nick, he's not like the heat seeking missile of a Zach Hyman on the forecheck per se, but he's like really crafty and greasy and definitely an underrated passer. Um, he, like, you look at a guy like that sometimes and you kind of think he's probably someone who bangs in more goals than he tallies assists just stylistically. But then you see him like he'll pick out a backdoor play really well and put it right on the tape. Um, and I think if you want to look at analytically, like you said, Nick, like his on ice shooting percentages, I think last at last check for me anyway, among the lowest among the non like fourth line forwards on the team. Um, and that's despite having, you know, really high level play driving sort of, numbers with with Tavares obviously Tavares's start is a huge part of that as well so um I think it'll come around and the most encouragingly for me I think he's the type of player who only gets better and proves more and more valuable as the games tighten up and they start to matter more and more yeah I just don't think they have anyone else like him right like he plays a very distinct game in terms of how he forechecks and the chaos that he causes around the front of the net you know even even against the Rangers, Callie Yarncroft scores. And I watched a little bit of the, or I listened to a bit of the Joe Bowen bod, uh, like the commentary of the game. And when the goal happened, they're like, how did Callie Yarncroft get so wide open in front? And it's like, cause Bertuzzi is just constantly pulling defenders to him. Like they're so worried about him. Like he's constantly in the right spots. He's constantly mucking it up in those areas. That Rangers game was just a hilarious sort of, um encapsulation of his season to date right i mean he didn't get a point on that goal even though he absolutely dominated behind the net the funniest for me might have been the matthews second goal because right before that goal they went down on that sort of odd man rush and bertuzzi makes like a sick drop pass like full speed and it's to matthews and you sit there and go oh okay like you know that's that's a goal and he misses and then the puck comes out they regroup and then Matthews goes down and scores. Bertuzzi doesn't get a point again. It's like they had seven goals. He had zero points. He, you know, was all over the ice, constantly dominating play. It's just, he's just having one of those starts where it's not showing up on the point sheet. But I think if you're watching his game, it, you know, you have to be happy with it. He's a legit top six left winger. And that was something they really, really needed. You know, I like, I don't have a problem at the price. I, in the right scenario would look to extend him. I don't know why his agent would recommend extending right now, considering he's on a really poor point pace. And like you said, I think he'll get better come playoff time and more noteworthy as a player, but like he's a player I'd like to keep at the right term and the right dollars. I don't want to get into what that looks like just yet, but um, I, I like, I like him. I think that was, I think that was a good signing. I think most people always thought it was going to be a good signing. I think some people are kind of down on the point totals, but by and large, um, I think he's, he's generally been what you wanted minus the lack of production. 
One thing that interests me is that I kind of figured he was that natural fit on a Matthews-Marner line where both Marner and Bertuzzi are playmakers that are funneling everything to Matthews. And I thought there might be some redundancy with him and Tavares where they both want to get to the net. And one thing that's impressed me, and it showed up for him in Boston too, is he's this really nifty close quarters playmaker. Like he can be right at the net where most guys are looking to just shoot at all costs or get some kind of deflection. And he'll do a backhand pass across the crease. Like he'll find someone else in the area. Like you said, he sucks up this attention and then he can get the puck out. And so him and Tavares as a combo, because that's largely been consistent, even though Nylander and Marner have switched have been better than I expected they would be because I thought there was a little bit of a worry there with those two liking to spend so much time around the blue crease, but it's working well. I thought he was, I think, I hope that he isn't done with the idea of pairing Bertuzzi with Matthews. Like, I understand why he switched it at the time. I totally get it. And obviously it worked because that Tavares, Bertuzzi, Nylander line went on just an absolute heater together. So great. But I wouldn't be so quick to abandon the idea of playing Bertuzzi with Matthews. I do think there could still be something there. I also think Matthews is just playing significantly better hockey over the past month than he did to start the season, which is borderline his MO at this point of kind of starting slow and then turning it on. Like like we saw something similar uh, last year with Nylander, right? Where Nylander started with Matthews. Matthews was recovering from the wrist injury and it was slow to start. And then they switched it to Marner and it was like, Oh, it's because they switched to Marner. And I just, I don't know. I felt at the time I was like, ah, I just think Matthews is just getting healthy. And, you know, again, another slow start, like this, let's just not write anything in, in stone here. Like I, I am more than positive that Bertuzzi could be an asset playing on Matthews wing as well. Yeah. I really like, I like the, conceptually i like bertuzzi matthews marner but it's like we're two steps away from that now because they've kind of tweaked it in both directions so it's hard to see a scenario where they go back to that but it's a long season you know we're 26 games in we got to keep it moving to the next player or else i mean if we give that much time to everybody it's going to be a long podcast people like that sometimes but we're going to kind of keep it a little bit tight Let's think about Max Domi here on a one-year $3 million. He's got 14 points in 26 games, 46 penalty minutes, pretty hilariously, uh, and took a long time to get his first goal and has just the one. Again, I'm not sure if that's a huge concern. For me, you split Max Domi's season into two parts. It's the part where he's playing wing and the part where he's been playing center alongside Robertson. He's been so much more effective. I don't know if you split sort of 12, I think it's 11 and 15 games, but in the last 15 games, it's 10 points. Um, He's looked competent in that role. He's given that line purpose. It's a scoring line. That doesn't mean it doesn't have flaws. It's, you know, it's not a traditional third line in some ways. But he's looked so much more alive recently that, again, I don't think this whole podcast is us going to be giving Trilliving Flowers. I see a a Swedish defenseman one step down here on on our podcast rundown. But I think the Leafs have to be relatively happy with what they've seen from Domi. Yeah, I think the the ability to, to play center kind of changes the complexion of the team with his speed and his skill, his ability to create. Like, And I think that the three spot, and kind of on a sheltered scoring line is the right spot for him as a center versus if he's on a top six on a contending team, he's and seeing kind of the more difficult matchups. He's probably more of a winger for me, but count, like you said, Nick, like the counting stats maybe aren't fabulous yet, but pretty damn good since he moved to center. 
Um, I'd say that third line doesn't generate a ton of shifts where they're like dominating zone time or anything. There's a lot of kind of like 50-50 kind of shifts. But overall, they are winning their minutes and outscoring the opposition. And I think most of all, we've seen that they can just change a game at a key moment with their ability to score quick, like the, the quick strike ability off the rush. We've seen a few really important goals scored by Robertson and, and Domi combination that way. Um, and it's just nice to have a third line that has an actual identity or if not an idea, identity, at least a cohesion to the line. Um, whether or not that's long term, it's Robertson on that wing or they want to look in maybe a different direction in terms of potentially moving knives down. And Robertson is a bit more of like a spare or black aid source situation so that that line's like a little bit more credible for when the games get a little bit tighter. It's kind of right now functioning more as like a either the third or the fourth line on any given night. It really depends situationally on how the game's playing out in terms of usage because Camp and Gregor could easily become, I think, your third line, that duo on any given night, depending on score situation and all that sort of stuff. But overall, pretty happy with with Domi's game. I like that there's like a little bit of – he's not tied, but like when there's a – you can tell he has a temper, like when he – the game, the temperature turns up a bit on a game. He generally seems to elevate with it, which is nice to have as well in the lineup to have more guys like that. I think the team team really needed that. Um, along with like Bertuzzi and uh, honestly, Jake McCabe recently. Um, and then Benoit, I've noticed a little bit of a more of just overall lift in that department from the team, especially even Lagesson. like, yeah, even Lagesson, like late in, I know we're getting a little off Domi here, but like even late, like in these last few games, like when they were leading against Nashville and when they're leading against New York and they're really starting to push, the physical pushback is really nice to see in terms of like McCabe lit someone up on the wall against Nashville and fought Sherwood and then uh, hammered, what's his name, last night um, Lindren. Uh, for New York and Lindren. fought again. And I think when you're up two goals and other team is pushing, having that kind of physical element, that pushback, um, not letting other teams just fly in over your blue line and so on. I think it make, makes a really big difference. Um, anyway, like long and short, I think he, I, I, I like what, what Domi brings at, at 3C. I think it was kind of weird how long it took for us to get to the point where, because like, we came out of camp and we had Fraser Mitten at 3C and had completely abandoned the idea of Willie at 3C with Domi on the wing, which I thought actually had some momentum and would have been really interesting to see. So I think that strange experiment maybe hurt Max Domi as much as anybody in terms of I'm not sure what they were thinking like the identity of the line down there didn't make any sense it seemed like they were really moving heaven and earth to accommodate a player who clearly wasn't going to be ready to me for to, to play a serious role for any length of time especially not on a contending team so that was a little bit odd and I think it played a role in the slow start just strange decision making out of camp but but he's really settled in nicely as he's gotten um, sort of into the groove at center. Yeah, I mean, ultimately in a vacuum for three mil a year, if he's going to play limited minutes as a three C and still put up forty five points, albeit maybe a slightly lower goal total at this point, considering he only has one goal. Hard to really complain about that. At the end of the day, you know, he's a bit of a limited player. Sheldon clearly doesn't trust him defensively, like at all. Been tracking his ice time. Um, Every every game, like you know, against the Rangers, Camp played more than him. Like, he only played like ten minutes the night before against the Islanders. He played like twelve and change. He seems to be around that, generally speaking, that twelve minute mark. So, for that money, you'd like someone who you ideally trust a little bit more. Although I'm not 
entirely sure if that's a chicken and egg thing with with Sheldon a little bit where it's like what came first like Domi didn't earn it or you didn't trust him because I do think he's capable of giving you more than 12 minutes a night respectably uh we've seen him do it on playoff teams that have actually won playoff series like he was really good for Dallas last year and when they were in the second round against Seattle he had like eight points in seven games and the Leafs really have not had depth scoring guys over the years where you look at them and say they could you know, you want ideally some guys that can turn a series that it doesn't have to be Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares. And I think he brings that ability. I similar to Bertuzzi, although I'm not as sure of it, I think he does have the ability to elevate come playoff time and, and be a bit of a a difference maker in terms of scoring some goals. Which again, like I just often, you know, I wasn't looking at guys like Pierre Ingvall and Alex Kerfoot and saying they're gonna you know, they can create on their own. Like Kerfoot obviously scored a huge overtime goal last year. It was a deflection. I don't want to take anything away from it, but he wasn't exactly making plays at any point. The one playoff he had maybe of note was really just riding shotgun with Nylander, who's on an absolute heater. And that was really it. Um, although most listeners of the podcast will know my feelings on Kerfoot over the years. So maybe I'm biased, but ultimately I just didn't look at him as a guy that could create. I think you see it like you kind of mentioned it, Alec, the, you know, big goal against Boston to tie a game. Uh, they scored a big goal against Ottawa to Ottawa, get an insurance marker in the third. Like, like, and those were high skill goals from their third line, which previously we, you know, they just did not have anything. Uh, so I like that element to it. I think Sheldon also needs to become a little bit more comfortable with it. Like, I don't think we should be looking at games where like Domi's around 11 and, you know, camp is up to like 14, 15 and you lose like three, two We're like, I could start envisioning those scenarios happening. I think they need to find the balance and I don't know what that level of trust is. And then to your point, like Robertson playing on the wing, but yeah, all in all, he's a secondary scorer who's producing a little bit over 0.5 point per game for $3 million on a one-year flyer. And I think he brings a little bit of gamesmanship. Like I, you know, the, um, the whole thing with Sam Bennett to me was like, we're playing like crap. I'm going to try to like mix it up and shake up this game. And, you know, I like that they have a few guys that are like that now, instead of just a lot of blank stares and what's happening. Yeah. I was watching yeah, I that think... game live actually in Ottawa that you mentioned about that goal. Sorry, Nick, just to hop in quick, but it kind of um, watching that live, it kind of hit me how I felt about the team. And it was a bit paradoxical in a sense. Maybe I kind of had a few competing thoughts in my head that felt somewhat contradictory, but I also think they're both kind of true in their own way. One is that I think the team, uh, I've never seen them look this mediocre from the perspective of like controlling games territorial at five on five territorially. Um, I don't think I've ever seen them look this sort of mid under Sheldon Keith in that way. But then the other thought I had kind of watching it was like, kind of to your point, Anthony was like, and I'll make a caveat about, you know, they obviously need to make a notable move on defense, but it also kind of feels like this team has a chance or it has the ingredients to do something pretty special more than, I think even more than past years with this core. And I think um, I'll try to explain if I second, I know we need to move on to the next player, but like, when they get into a rhythm and they're able to break out and play on offense, you can see that they now have an ability to put three plus lines together to the point about Domi's, the Domi led third line. 
that they simply haven't had in past years. Like between the additions of Nyes and Bertuzzi on the left wing, and then the mix of Domi, Yarncroft, Robertson, Gregor, and Camp in the bottom six, I think the team is the deepest it's ever been up front. Um, we know, we all know how it's gone in past playoffs over and over again. The Leafs end up leaning so hard on their top guys for so many minutes to do all the scoring. And even when their stars do have relatively good playoff showings production wise, because other teams also have elite players and you run up against good veteran teams with good coaching like Florida and Tampa and so on in this divisional format. It's a lot to ask of those guys to win their minutes on a level where they carry that lack of depth scoring and the lack of contributions from the blue line offensively. So the part about the offense and the defense, I think that remains a concern. But from a forward perspective, I've never seen them look quite as deep from a scoring threat perspective. And we can talk about like the bottom six and with Domi and we have a little bit. Um, but even like we talked Bertuzzi, like Bertuzzi and Tavares controlling play together really well at five on five, whether it's Willie there or whether it's Marner there, that that line's been quite consistent. And it's easy to kind of forget that the Leafs, you know, we they were previously built or they still are built on this idea of having like two first lines, right, that you'd have to pick your poison to match up against. That's how they're structured roster wise. That's how they're structured caps cap wise. That's kind of the whole idea, right? they would basically run out Matthews Marner when it mattered. And then Tavares and Nylander, and like you said, with Kerfoot or whoever on the other wing, that was always an extremely sort of mediocre line at five on five. So that potential that was never really fully realized in in terms of having the two-headed monster up front. This year, there's already been a substantial stretch where Bertuzzi and Tavares, it was with Willie at the time, but was easily their best line for a significant stretch of time. So now that weeks. you have Matthew, yeah, weeks, I would say. And now and now that Matthews is back to dominating games again, they have solid net minding with good depth back there. I see the depth up front, and I see two really good lines going finally at five on five uh, or the potential for that. Um, and it makes me really optimistic. They just need to, and maybe this branches into the John Klingberg discussion, but they obviously need a big move or two on defense to really get this cooking, but... Overall, like I, 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 I like what Domi's changed the, to the bottom six, and also a, a nod to Noah Gregor as well. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna go through these sort of contract by contract, but I do also think that there's a category of the kind of minor deals, right, that include Gregor and Logason and even Simon Benoit to an extent. Like the that kind of like afterthought bargain shopping has gone extremely well for. The Maple Leafs and Trail Living does deserve some credit for that. But again, before we, uh, there's too much danger of too much praise being heaped upon him. It is time to discuss John Klingberg, who, as a premise, you could argue, you know, offense from the from the blue line, like you mentioned, Alec has been a big concern for this team for quite some time, and the idea of having multiple defense pairings with threatening offensive defenseman and having Klingberg, you know, run the power play. And there's a lot of discussion of him providing a little bit more of a shot threat that could elevate that group to some extent. Maybe this conversation is a short one, but there's really no way in which any of this has worked, right? Like he didn't play well. And then he was out for the season in a sense. It's a pretty simple situation. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I get, I get where the criticism, like Klingberg was awful. I'm not going to justify it. It took, all of one game where I, I 
kind of just laughed and said, I, yeah, I really don't want to watch this guy play hockey for 82. And and now we, we don't have to. Um, but overall, I mean, the signing doesn't particularly bother me as much as it seems to bother others. I'm not defending it. I mean, obviously, they could have used the cap dollars a lot better. And if nothing else, they could have just kept Sam Lafferty instead of having the cap crunch, which I think is a bigger issue altogether. Um, but that part aside, I do think they need a right-handed shot. I think that's very clear on their defense. And they obviously need uh, like more skill back there and guys who can create from the point. And Klingberg does provide both of those things. And the other options like were very few and far between. I mean, if I look back on the UFA D market, the one guy where I kind of went, uh, I would have probably liked to have had him um, and saved a little bit of cap space is Carson Susie. I quite like him. He's also now been hurt for Vancouver, but I think he provides that a lot of things that they're going to end up wanting to try to acquire in terms of size, some level of mobility. You know, he's not a black hole at the puck. I think he's respectable defensively, so on and so forth. He's a, a good age. He's in his late 20s. Um, so all that to say is I understand why he took a shot at Klingberg. It's a one-year deal. He's on LTIR now for the rest of the season. It's like basically no harm, no foul at this point with, again, the exception that they lost Sam Lafferty. And um, that one, that one I do think is uh, culminates in a, a bigger issue, but the, the, the signings that by and large drive me nuts are the ones that never made sense from the beginning in terms of like a fit, right? As in, why did you acquire this guy? There's no place for him. If Klingberg played to, and you can say, well, Klingberg has been pretty bad for, a year or two now one i don't think anaheim counts as a hockey team and i know he went to minnesota and also <laughs> slightly struggled but like if you watch anaheim and i've watched them way more than i'm willing to admit it was awful like it was not hockey it was at best pawn hockey i don't know what dallas seekins was doing for like the four years he coached there but it was not teaching anybody how to play through the neutral zone like greg cronin former toronto maple leaf assistant coach and alec favorite who interviewed him years ago. Some of you may remember, go look that interview up, by the way, it's a good one. Um, like he's instantly gone there and just made them at least semi-respectable by not having them be so embarrassing. So I think there was at least a chance where you could say, well, we're going to put him into our environment. If he's healthy, yada, yada, yada. Like I conceivably, I, I can at least understand the logic. I just, obviously it didn't work out. Like I said, he's on LTIR now. It's just like, whatever, like move on. Yeah, I Alec, think it's I e- easy to say he got bailed out on a mistake, and there's probably some truth in that, but he obviously protected himself with the one-year term, and Klingberg got seriously hurt in Game 3, or maybe Game 4. I don't know what that Florida game was in the season, I think maybe 4. Um, and he was brought in as someone the Leafs are going to work on as a reclamation project. So to pretend we could seriously evaluate him, I think, is also a little bit unfair. Um I also think it's probably not fair to look like you look at tree living's past work and what he's done on defense in Calgary and the types of defensemen he likes. I don't think Klingberg's really his kind of player. I think he took a flyer on him because the FA pool mostly sucked. Maybe you could debate Carson Susie, but you know what? Otherwise it's like overpaying Ryan great Greaves or signing Matt Dumba to basically the same contract as Klingberg or giving Radko Gudis term at age 34 or whatever he is. I don't, I don't know if the I don't know if the opportunity cost was huge there in terms of how they could have used the asset the cap space specifically on defense. Um, I think it's 
clear that the trade market is the way that he's going to have to address this hole. And clearly it wasn't bearing fruit yet in the summer at a prices that he found palatable. And that now that he's on LTRR, it kind of, he's kind of just back at square one in that regard in terms of having the cap space at his disposal. Um, I guess you can maybe debate, should they have just given Eric Gustafson $825,000? Um, but they maybe could have done that anyway if they wanted. And I think the point there, in addition to handedness, which they really did need a right-handed shot, um, is that, you know, what you're taking a flyer on with Klingberg is that he's actually had played really significant minutes in the playoffs or a cup contender at one point um, that went to the finals. Like he was legitimately a high-end defenseman for a while. So I don't think it was crazy to take a really low-risk swing on it. Maybe not really low-risk, but fairly low-risk swing. And to me, Gustafson kind of falls more in the Connor Timmons category in terms of like usage and pedigree and so on like that, so on, so on and so forth. So offense from defense is a clear need and one he hasn't fixed yet. Um, we're seeing with like Timmons just how much it stands out on this decor outside of Riley when you see somebody who can contribute in that capacity. Like it's really stood out even amid all the mistakes and some of the concerns with Timmons' game. Like I – I encourage you guys to look at the numbers I ran on when Klingberg got hurt. I kind of looked back into the playoff production outside of Riley on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it is abysmal. I compared it to some of the other cup winners and it's like insanely bad. Like I don't think there's probably another team in the league that's made the playoffs in the last few years that would be as bad as the Leafs are in terms of production and, and also shots on goal from the points. Um, so I think generally it's it's still a huge need. And as the Leafs, I think sort of as the Leafs offensive talent, elite young offensive talent, not so young anymore, I guess, has gotten better and better at supporting the defense with its structure and its 200-foot play in the last few years. I think the Leafs have been an underratedly good defensive team under Keith for a couple of years now. The opposite hasn't been reciprocated in terms of the defense supporting the offense as much as they need to, in, in especially in the playoffs. And I think that has real impacts in terms of opening up space offensively and like other teams can kind of pack the house on them and not have to respect the points as much. So they do need somebody that can play right side and hopefully some tough minutes, um, but they need somebody who can really drive some offense too. One thing I wanted to add before we move on is that there is this notion that, okay, well, Klingberg didn't work out and he goes on long-term injured reserve and you get the cap space back and therefore it's sort of fine. But the reality of that situation is that now you're looking for a placement in the trade market and you're going to have to give up, you know, prospects and draft picks to get that player in. So like, yes, you are getting that cap space back. And in a sense, you're getting refunded for the mistake of signing Klingberg. And, you know, we could argue how fair, like you said, we, maybe we just didn't get long enough to see him find his bearings. He got injured so early in his tenure, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe the process was there more than it was given credit for, but it is going to be a costly mistake in that regard and the fact that to go out and get another player is going to cost you as well so you will sign Klingberg and then you're going to have to pay something to get someone else to do an approximation of Kling. well probably not an exact approximation approximation probably someone who's a little bit more defensively oriented so there is it's not fully a no harm no foul situation I guess is what I'm getting at no but I think they're probably in that boat regardless like let's say they sign Carson Soucy or they signed Luke Shen I still think you're looking going they need another defenseman right like who who would they have signed where you say we're we're sitting here today going yeah defense looks pretty good I think they're good there 
No, but then it would be so now based on that logic, now you're looking for two defensemen if you think that before you needed yeah. one. So it again, it's gonna yeah. be difficult. It's gonna be difficult to make this defense core make sense. The next player on our list is uh David Camp, who I guess it's re-signing, but he was, you know, right there on the brink of free agency. Uh this one was a puzzler for a lot of people. Four years, two point four million. I think it's a player that most Leafs fans would say has a very specialized role and has performed relatively well in the context of that role over the last couple of years. Um, that being said, the term and the amount uh, was a little bit of a sticker shock for people. Uh, at the time, the, the, getting a center, getting a, a bottom six, a reliable bottom six center was a very difficult thing in this free agent market. So that was part of it for sure. The results this year, like he, he's kind of been what you expect in terms of like literally watching his play, there's been, you know, difficulty with him and Reeves. They've been on the ice for a lot of goals against some of that was bad luck and overplayed. But the reality is you pay camp so that he goes out in difficult situations and you approximately stalemate so that you give your other guys better opportunities. And that approximate stalemate hasn't really been there so far this season. Yeah, it's a few things. So in the first month of the season, when their penalty kill was terrible, I was like, you can't be making this money and the PK sucks. And and he was a legitimate problem on the PK in the first month. Like he it wasn't just like bad goaltending or the defense. Like the forwards were in complete disarray in terms of coverage, in terms of how they switched, and in terms of how they pressured, they looked completely lost. And he played a role in that. Like there was some goals where I just didn't understand where he was putting a stick, where he was skating. And at that point, I was like, I didn't mind the contract as much as others, uh, but you can't you can't make that money in that term and be bad on the penalty kill. That penalty kill has obviously straightened out since then, and he plays a notable role in that, so that shouldn't be lost. Like he he helps in it, so that's important. I mean, ultimately, for four years, you would like to give on on the annual average more than more than they did, right? Like. If, if you said two years, 2.5, I think a lot more people would have shrugged at that. But for four years, you would probably like that number to be two or slightly less than two. So that part was kind of surprising. But I do, you know, it's like someone like Vancouver signed Suter and Suter got 1.6 a year for two years. I think Camp is better than Suter. So ergo, he should make more money than him. I just didn't think the gap was like two additional years and 800,000 more a year. So, I mean, being fair, it was, it was a bit surprising to see that term and the number that he got relative to, to that. But by and large, I, he's a useful player. I like him. He's a checking center. It's really hard to find them. You know, the Leafs are trying to win right now. The idea of losing him and then trying to find another checking center. I think people think that these guys are a dime a dozen, but they're really not. They actually are hard to find. He's a known commodity here. The coach likes him. Like, I think there's value to all those things when you're, again, you're trying to win right this second. If they were in any other stage as a franchise, I'd sit there and say, I have no idea why they're signing them. I at least get why they want to keep them. But again, being honest, like they, they should have done better on at least term or, or average, but that aside, like I'm happy the players here. 
Yeah, they, they lost the negotiation, but it doesn't mean the player is a bad player or not a useful contributor. It's like a comfort blanket for Sheldon Keefe a little bit. Uh, and we talked about maybe a little bit too much trust, not enough trust for Domi. Like you could make those arguments. That's not Camp's fault, though. Uh, it's not his fault. The coach maybe overexposes him at times. You know, I, it's the type of thing where if the Leafs weren't so tight against the cat, like he, losing these type of negotiations, having guys at a bit of a luxury price makes more sense when you're in a, a more comfortable cap situation. But the degree to which this was a disaster was probably overplayed in the fan base a little bit. The last guy on our list here, I want to leave some time for us to have a couple overall thoughts as well as opposed, as opposed to only the rundown. The last guy, and you could spend a lot of time on Ryan Reeves. I don't think we necessarily need to. It's three years. It's 135 for an old player who um, you know gives has given them one goal in 20 games. You know, not good possession numbers, awful them getting outscored with him on the ice. Some of that is overstated, to be honest. He's been a little bit better recently, been in and out of the lineup, and sometimes gets benched midway through close games, which is probably uh, the right way to use him. What are sort of the big picture thoughts on the Ryan Reeves contract? I would agree that it's kind of getting overstated how bad of a player he is. Forget the plus minus and all that stuff, just how bad he is in general. Like, it's not like he's Colton Orr on the ice or Fraser McLaren. It's just, uh, it to me, it's well, Tree Living's one clear mistake. Um, and I would kind of put the Lafferty knock on effect more in this category of um, cementing Reeves onto the roster more than the Klingberg conversation, personally, just in terms of that trade off. Um, if they had you know, Lafferty over him, Gregor and Lafferty with camp in the middle would have been, I think a really formidable fourth line. It would have been a big headache for the opposition speed wise. And there's some good size in that mix too. Um, somewhat similar to the dynamic they had when camp was playing with McKayev and Engvall. Uh, I think that that trio would have run over a lot of fourth lines in the league, honestly. Um, so a, a definite missed opportunity. Um, but it's obvious like a lot of what, like a lot of the reason for this is clearly just kind of behind the scenes considerations. And it, that was also kind of weird for me because we're hearing all this weird stuff about, you know, the team maybe being kind of clicky and not hanging out in big groups on the road and all this talk about this in the media. And Reeves got asked about it and gave out some quotes about it without really knowing what the room was even like. So that was a little bit awkward and led to some weird situations where like Morgan Riley was directly asked about it in camp and he kind of came out and said like he could tell he was shocked he's like I didn't think that was an, an issue in the room um so that that was sort of weird but it, it what is true I think is that Keith has remarked many times about how quiet the team can be um like he he talked about it constantly when Ryan O'Reilly was brought in uh he brought up that point um and I think they have a group with Tavares Matthews and Nylander especially who do all their talking on the ice aren't hugely vocal off of it or on the bench. And it, this is, I guess, their, Tree Lemming's attempt to supplement that, but it, to me it only goes so far when it's in the form of a grocery stick. So the, the to me it's kind of the same conversation when it comes to supplementing team toughness in that way with like you're kind of like a seven or eight-minute player who's not overly useful and can't play in key situations. It's way more about getting pushback and responses immediately from whoever's on the ice and more than having like a policeman that's sitting on the bench looking tough. So I don't know the extent to which Reeves presence helps everyone stand taller or brings together team camaraderie or chemistry. I can't really speak to it's hard to quantify or, or even it's kind of not worth discussing on the outside, frankly, 
but it doesn't really seem to me that he's providing much in any one area. And to me, that's sort of real, I can kind of hand wave away Klingberg and a few hundred thousand or one or two years on camp. I don't get this decision, frankly. And I think it costs them. I think it's the most direct thing that costs them Sam Lafferty and what would be, I think, uh, an extremely good fourth line. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do correlate the signing more with the Lafferty loss as well, just to be clear. Um, but, you know, just trying to provide other options and had they saved some money on defense and it would have opened right. blah, blah, yeah, blah. But yeah, like definitely the the Reeves thing. Um, you know what? Like first few games of the season, he came out, he laid a few big hits. He got into some fights. I was like, you know what? I can I can respect it. If nothing else, I can respect it. Right. Like he laid out Frederick Goudreau and then got into a good fight. And I was like, OK, if hey, you're going to do this every few weeks. You're going to line a guy up and send him to eternity and get the crowd going and whatnot. I mean, from like a, an energy and even just a fan entertainment standpoint, totally can get behind it. I mean, who wouldn't like to see it? Everyone was excited yesterday when Jake McCabe laid out Lindgren, right? Same sort of concept. Um, but then obviously the, the Boston situation happens. Um, you know, even the Chicago situation when Corey Perry dunked on him, basically, and then it and then it started to get a little bit tiresome. You, you kind of, you know, you were hearing quotes and and things like that. And honestly, part of me just wasn't quite sure if even he understood how to do his role in this situation, because. Like the Brad Marchand thing happens and then afterwards he says, oh, well, if I was on the ice with Marchand, it would have been a different story. And even even if we gloss over the fact that they had a few shifts where they were coincidentally on the ice together he could have just grabbed someone else. Like it didn't have to be Marshawn, right? Like it, if anything, that makes you feel worse as Marshawn is the captain. If you watch a teammate get absolutely buried and, and Reeves is capable of doing that, obviously. And he goes by the bench and he tells Marshawn, that's your fault. That is to me it way more a, of a message. It feels a bit like it's a bit of a philosophical clash or cultural clash with what he believes in though, to even, yeah. have him on the roster sometimes because like you said Reeves comes out with that quote and then talks about how this wouldn't happen if he's on the ice or we I would have liked to have seen what it'd be like if I was on the ice and then Keith comes out and says it wouldn't have mattered if he was on the ice yeah Sheldon's <laughs> like, like Brad Marchand doesn't care about Ryan Reeves that was the exact quote like in in like cutting like the paragraph that he said but he said that in that paragraph like he does like, like just, stylistically he's just not going to be a fit with camp and Gregor either. Like, and, and partly and then just... camp is brutal in particular, Awful. like the, the two things, the things that they can theoretically do on the ice. And there's not much that Reeves can theoretically do on the ice, but it just does not make sense with what unwatchable camp does. And, and then McMahon comes in and McMahon was really good for three games. And then he got healthy scratched for what ended up being a span of like two weeks of real time. And then he came back against Seattle and he was terrible in like five minutes. And then that, like, those are the things that kind of compound where whatever the signing, you can put them on waivers and, and like, no one's going to claim them and you can still have them around and like X, Y, Z, but it's like all these other things that are now happening as it, like you lose Lafferty McMahon comes in fresh from the A and, and was giving you good minutes. And then you sit them and then that line just gets worse. Like you're mentioning David camps, like you guys invested in him. Like you get, you're giving camp four years and almost $10 million. And then you're like, we're just going to play you with a player that makes no sense. And it's terrible. Like 
it's all of those things that come with it. And then you add in, it's like, where's the, where's the overwhelming physicality? Where is the, the game within the game components? Like those things I'm not even seeing to the point where I could at least bring them up and say, Hey, he's doing these kinds of things. Instead I'm watching. It's like the fourth line's terrible. You're playing like five minutes a night. You're, you know, a player that could be potentially a contributor is like sitting in the press box, eating popcorn, watching the game. And you lost a guy who has, what does Lafferty have? Seven goals and 15 points right now. Like he's like, I get he's on a heater and he's not, you know, a 30 goal guy, but he was a legitimate contributor. He had speed. He was right-handed. He could take face-offs. He could kill penalties. Like he was a useful player that in any number of capacities and you lost him for nothing. It's like all of those other things bother me about it way more. Um, and then you add, and that, that's before you even get to what he's doing. And then you get to what he's doing. And it's like, and, and you just continue to watch him play. And it's, you know, Keith gave McMahon a shout out after the game against the Rangers said he gave him good minutes. Like McMahon played over 11 in that game, which, you know, you weren't going to trust Reeves to do in that environment. And it's like, I, I read it and then I shrugged and went, okay, well, is he going to get healthy scratch next game again? Because there's probably some politicking going on behind the scenes in which Reeves has to play. Like just that, that whole thing is just entirely bothersome at this point. Like I'm already over it. The one thing I will say the first month I thought Reeves was loving the cameras on him, loving it in terms of the quotes and the sound bites and the attention He's at minimum quieted that down over the past few weeks. And I do think he's like, he stopped with that and maybe played a little bit better. I just, yeah, ultimately we all have eyes. We can all see it. Yeah. It's a lot of it, as we've mentioned here is about opportunity cost and having him means that you don't have other more functional players that makes your lineup make sense. We could do an entire podcast uh, on Ryan Reeves before we get out of here. I think each of us, I don't know if it's a letter grade or if that's too cliche, uh, just a little wrap up thought on the Trilliving experience and where you're at with it today. Uh, how about you start, Alec? Uh, just, I guess, waiting and seeing as boring of an answer as that is, just because I think obviously a lot of short term bets we're talking about outside of a three year deal for Reeves, which I think we all agreed is the most egregious mistake made. But um I want to see what the big shoe that is that's to come in terms of dropping on defense. Um, how and he approaches Lander. that entire and, and like it's really interesting to hear him talk about it publicly because uh, I kind of like the tone he's the, the uh, tact he's taken with it in terms of um, he a I think he got enough of the depth additions right whether that's some degree luck or whether that's some degree genius I don't know you can debate that amongst yourselves but like clearly Lagason and Benoit being as serviceable as they've been has been hugely helpful in terms of preventing him from having to rush out and deal from a position of weakness just to bring in a body basically. And that, that helps on top of that. I like that. He said, I'm only going to, you know, he's aware of how many assets have been kind of shedded over the years, chasing the cup, which was mostly, I think maybe Dubas, um, particularly speaking to the bubble season, sorry, the, um, the Montreal year, the Canadian division season, I think he maybe went a little nuts on terms of, in terms of trying to cover for every eventuality and, and throwing David picks Riddich. away willy nilly on Riddich and, and others. Um, so. And Hutton. Hutton was there too. Yeah. I was trying to think of his name. Thanks. 
And um, the uh, anyway, like I think Tree Living showed an awareness of that and then said, if I'm going to spend the assets, um, I want it to be for someone who's going to make a material difference. And I think watching the team, that's clearly where the need is. It's more at the top end of the defense than it is in the depth areas of it. So I think he's right to focus the assets and cap spaces he has on an actual needle mover. And I'm encouraged by the way he's sort of spoken about it and also taken on the accountability himself to say, um, this is on me. Like he's looking at this team with the rest of us. If, like I said, off the top, I see a ton of potential in how the team can roll out four lines. I really like their depth in that. Um, assuming wall can be actually healthy, which is a question mark to be fair. Um, it's clear what this team needs and it's on him to go and get it. He said multiple times when he spoke last week that there's no excuses here. I have to go out and help the team in this area. Um, and I'm just sort of waiting and I guess I'm probably more pro on most of his moves than I am against. Um, but I'm sort of waiting to see the big first move because that's going to be dictate a lot of how I feel about um, his first year on the job, obviously. Yeah, I think I think he has he's shown a little bit of a decent eye for some depth players. I like Benoit. Lagason has surprised me. Um, he's been Gregor. He's been solid. Yeah. Gregor obviously has been solid. I think they're players that are more in line with what you want from depth guys. It's um, it's not like like Dennis Malgan and Nick Patan and um, Tyler you know, I know, yeah, right. Like I know people liked um, Jason Spezza, but like I just I don't really think he was credible so like i just thought they were players that were just worse versions of what they had up the lineup which i said over the years repeatedly and at least i look at guys like gregor and even benoit and i'm like they just they're guys that bring different elements to the game um which i think he appreciates and i think ultimately when you look at cup winners that's what they have they have guys all over the lineup that do different things so i like that um obviously like he waited out the market and like he got a good deal on Bertuzzi. Domi's been reasonably productive, so he's kind of tried to change the lineup that way. You know, you mentioned the defense, so I won't talk too much on that, but I'll just say, like, the, the Nylander situation, he's got to sort it out one way or the other. Like, if they lose if they lose Nylander for free, that is a failure. Like, that, like that's, like, two times in three years he's been dunked on by the same agent, um, Goudreau with Calgary. Like, it can't, like, you can't, it can't happen. I... I don't care what the solution. Like, I mean, I want, I care in that the solution should be to sign Nylander and to come to terms. But like, if it's you have to trade him because it's not happening, then it, that's what it is. But you can't, you can't just walk this guy to free agency and lose him for free. Like, it just under no circumstances. So that coupled with you need to add a defenseman of consequence, and I think that they need another forward as well. But the the proof will be in the pudding. At this point, he's kept it kind of simple right one-year deals et cetera, et cetera. so he's going to need to do something of significance soon yeah i think both of you guys are right in that the bigger moves the more significant moves are the ones that haven't happened yet and what we've seen so far has been complimentary stuff and with the reeves whiff in there and the klingberg whiff in there it'd be hard to give him a massively you know impressive grade for what he's done but also it hasn't been a disaster either i think it's sort of like a you know it's a b with a lot of TBD on that report card, and we'll see what happens by the end of the year. This is where we're going to wrap it for episode 49, I think, technically, of Make Me Thought So podcast, but episode one of uh, version 2.0. And we hope that you guys will stick with us next week. Everyone is looking at me, down